when you're a bought candy thinking like people will trick or treat in the apartment nobody did and I'm like oh I guess I have to eat this candy <laughs> can't let poor it go to, you. Can't let it go to waste <laughs> poor Krista has all this candy everybody <laughs> wouldn't that make me emotional Every, <laughs> I just got like a bubble in my throat like I was crying everybody brings their candy back to the office and I'm like no we don't we don't want we don't your candy yeah. That dentist on Main Street takes it. I saw cash. they like buy it back. Yeah. When my sister was little, my mom did the Halloween fairy. And so the Halloween fairy, you like left out your candy and then the Halloween fairy brought you a present like Santa, but for I Halloween. Would say, that's a bad exchange. Yeah. I don't want any present that's not a real My sister cup. loved <laughs> it. Really? She got to keep some candy. She, my mom would be like, you can keep 10 pieces. The Halloween fairy. I'm like, 10 pieces? That's like, I could eat that in one sitting. <laughs> But she, Sharice would like gladly do it, and then my mom would take the candy and take it to school and give it to her oh. students because she's a teacher. Gotcha. High school. They're very motivated by candy. Of course. Of course. So yeah, like, why not? That's a good trade off for my mom. Yeah. Um, there's a movie called Hubie Halloween. It's got Adam Sandler in it. What Halloween? Hubie Halloween. Hubie? Yeah. And it's this, this guy, he's basically playing uh, like a middle aged version of the water boy. Right, like it's a middle-aged version of all of his stupid characters from over the years, um, but uh, he's like the the town kind of the town sheriff for Halloween. Like he he rides his bike around and, and makes sure all the kids are safe. And he's but he's like he's kind of a nuisance to everyone, mm-hmm. and nobody likes him. And um, but one of the things that he tells the kids to do is to uh, on Halloween night they bring their candy home, they lay it all out on the floor, the table, or whatever. And they stack the candy as high as they can. And when it falls down, they can keep all that candy. And then the rest goes to, like, someone else in need. Oh. I actually thought that was, like, super cool. That's actually a great idea. Yeah. I thought that was super cool when I I heard that. I was like, oh, that's... I feel like... You can give someone else cavities. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? I'm like, what does a dentist do with it? Do they just throw it away? Probably. Probably, Probably, yeah. Because they're... It's good for your yep. business. Candy let those is. Kid, let those kids eat candy. It's Candy's their arch enemy. My friend's son is almost 12, and I was like, Levi, I'm going to take you to lunch today. Where do you want to go? And he's like, Subway. You can go anywhere. Where do you want to go? We can go to Austin. Subway. That seems odd. Well, Even for him. Don't, I mean, no. But a meatball sub is hard to beat. He, well, I made him ask his mom because they're very, like, strict about their gluten-free diet and Subway doesn't have any gluten-free options so he called her in my car head thrown back I'm like oh my gosh you are such a middle schooler now but Katie said yes and then I was texting her at the same time and she's like he asked to go to Subway every day because it's right by the field house when they pick Layla up from school so he just asks every day so I'm like well I'm glad that I can like make his dreams come true by buying him a foot-long turkey sandwich and he was like very tired and um when we walked into Subway, his little hands went in his pockets, and he was whistling and dancing. I'm like, all right. He got his zhuzh on. He, he, cool. he said, funny. I was like, are you kidding? And he goes, I know you love their tuna sandwich. <laughs> and I was like, Levi, that's a accurate, true statement, but why Subway? <laughs> and they didn't even have tuna. That's the one sandwich I really like from there, which is gross and embarrassing to admit. I like it's the, not even really tuna. I like the filet of fish at McDonald's. All right, that Which makes me feels feel better. a little embarrassing. That's on the same level. Yeah, it is bad but good. Did you grow up with it on Fridays? Fridays yeah, and just I don't know the buns for the fillet of fish always seem so soft, like they softer like buttery. Than yeah, and I mean I don't care that it's a rectangle fish. It's good if you like it. I'm not judging you. I mean you copious amounts of tartar. Those, those rectangular fish they school. It's really beautiful. <laughs> They grow it in a box. See them in the wild. (laughs) There are two little eyes on both on one side. We can go ahead and start talking about things that uh, are important to talk about. Um, I think I think everything's good. Um, yeah. So 
Everything is good. Everything is good. This, this is usually how we start. We're very professional. We just say, hey, you want to start talking we now? Should. And we go. Well, we're recording. Should yeah. we start talking about things that are important now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Hi, Nikki. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I'm really excited today. I'm feeling real happy that you're in Buda and we're in Buda and we have a guest. We talked oh, about. Oh, that a surprise? I mean, not anymore. Okay. We talked about Buda last year. You should explain again to any new listeners uh, where is Buda? Buda is just south of Austin, just south of Weird, some people might say. Okay. It looks like it could be Buddha. Some people say, oh, you're from Buddha. And I went, hmm. Or Buddha. No, Buddha. Buddha. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently, it's um, a take on the Spanish word for um, a widow, Vayuda, which uh, we're, um, we have a, the train passes through downtown, and there's a little shop, um, I guess a restaurant, that people would frequent when passing through Buda um, in the other time frame. <laughs> I don't know. In, in, in Buda's history? In Buda's history. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. That they teach it third grade at Elm Grove that I've mm-hmm. been through four times that I can't remember. That's okay. But they had these widows who would take care of people and they were like the, um, I don't know, caretakers, waitresses, they cooked, they did all the things for people who would pass through Buda. And so evidently they were so well liked that they named the whole town after them. Cool. But not really because it's Buda, not Vayuda or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I love that. That's very and cool. that is an inaccurate history of Buda. <laughs> I, I think it was pretty accurate. I mean, compared to, compared to like, uh, the historical reference that I have on hand, it was very accurate. Okay. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, why are we here? We're here because we're talking to one of my good friends, Krista Wilbur, <laughs> who I'm so excited to have on the podcast. And part of me is like, I don't even know why I feel, I feel so drawn to, I am in awe of Krista's life. I'm wowed by her story. And I just feel like more people need to know her, need to know, um, I just feel like you encapsulate, um, the Paschal mystery to me, Mm -hmm. you know, with this, um, you know, the life that you've lived and, and the decisions that you've made, um, in your recent history and to the choices, the focus as to why you make your choices mm. are lovely and um, God-centered. And I think people need to hear about it. That's so nice. Thank you. Thank You're you for having me. Welcome. Of course. Well, um, welcome, Krista, and thank you for taking the time and also for providing us a place to kind of gather and uh, to record this podcast. We are... Um, we're doing great because it seems like the mowing outside is done. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, we all prayed for that in our hearts <laughs> earlier. We didn't want to be rude and be like out loud, like, and Lord, please enough with the mowing. Yeah. Um, but we did, uh, we, we confided in one another that we all did pray for that. And uh, it's, it's seems to have worked. So, so that's good. good. Um, so if you hear a mower or a leaf blower or something in the background, um, just ignore it. Um, we're going to ignore it because we're yeah. already started recording. So we don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. right? We're um, working with it. Yeah, we're working, working with it with for it. sure. Um, so Krista, if you don't mind just kind of starting off telling us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of um, what you do and, and yeah, we would, we would just love to hear more about you. Yes. Well, I'm Krista. I, so we are recording in Buda in the office of my company, which is called Austin Angels. We are a foster care nonprofit and I am... Um, I'm a case manager here and I also do all of our program events. So anything that impacts a family, like a camp or a big Christmas is my big thing right now that I'm working on back to school. Um, all of those things I get to do. And I've been here for three and a half years, moved here from Southern California, uh, in May of 2018, just kind of like knew I was ready to move to Austin, had been back and forth to Texas a few times and loved it. Um, Thankfully, the few times I came, it was always really hot. So my expectation was just that it was really hot. I didn't realize we were going to get snowed in for a week. I didn't have closed-toed shoes when I moved here, but um, moved here hoping they would hire me at this job. And they, I had to be in Texas. They had to vote on the board, like, hiring me. And I said, yeah, I'll just move with no job. That feels reasonable. It all worked out. Got here on a left Monday. Got here Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, they called and offered me a job. So I've been here three and a half years and, um, I 
was adopted as a high school senior by one of my teachers and her husband. And so always just knew that I was going to be a foster parent myself. And this was kind of my gateway working in foster care was my gateway into being a foster parent. And I got licensed, um, this year and I have my first little placement, a little guy named D you, we can just call him my big fat baby because he's just a big chunky guy. He is almost 14 months old. And so This is kind of my main gig. Foster care is literally my life 100% of the time between work and home. But in my spare time, I train on trauma and resilience. And then I'm also a writer. I've written two books. So a memoir called Let It Make... Nope, that's not the name of the memoir. It all jumbles up in my mind, (laughs) mom brain. Um, I have a memoir called Four Letter Words. And then this last year, I wrote a collection of essays called Let It Make You Kind. So it's my life in an elevator pitch. Thank you. Nikki's read both of them. That's awesome. Yes. Um, yeah, that's uh, we we've been talking about you for for a while. Nikki has been kind of mm-hmm. um, really kind of singing your praises and and also uh, pitching, I guess, to to get you on <laughs> on our podcast for a while. And um, our our angle, I guess, on the Late Church podcast is that we we want to um, we just want to talk to people about how God kind of moves in their lives, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. want to talk to people how um, about how when they maybe jump into something like a cross country move from California to Texas without having a job, how there can be some real peace in saying mm-hmm. like, God, I'm going to put this in your hands and, and, and really I'm going to put kind of my whole life in your hands. I'm going to let you have this. Um, because at the end of the day, like I'm not in control. Right. Mm-hmm. And how, and how wonderful that is, how wonderful it is to be, um, kind of just protected under, under the wing of, of God. And I think that, um, we can, we can draw a lot of parallels, uh, certainly between being um, being adopted sons and daughters of God. We can certainly see a lot of the parallels in the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to just kind of be immersed in that every day. What is what is that, you know, from sunup to sundown to be thinking about like like taking care of people in that yeah. in that and especially children in that in that particular way. Yeah, man. I mean, we are, so there's eight case managers here and we're always talking about how we are kind of on like the glamorous side of foster care. We are not removing children from their homes. We're not licensing homes. We just get to provide them support, but it's really hard because it doesn't matter that we're on the support side. We are hearing all of their hard stories. And so that is, I think something that I've learned in the last few years is that you really have to like figure out this way to reconcile the goodness of the work that we're doing with like all of the grief because kids are removed from their homes, um, not for lack of bio parents loving them, but not keeping them safe and hard things happening to them. And so we are just immersed in the care daily of like, of kids, of youth who are in foster care, of the families that are caring for them. Um, we've started following kids and doing monitored returns. So when they go back to their bio parents and so it's just like, they're coming to us with these really heavy stories of, of hurt and every person in this process is hurt. Like there's no one who escapes foster care unscathed, whether you are obviously the child in care, but the Mm -hmm. foster parent and, and, and I can attest to this now that it's my life. And I see this side of foster care is like, it's, I'm hearing the hardest things about my little guy's birth parents. And I, I, you know, I have compassion and tenderness towards them, but like they hurt me deeply and I see how they hurt his parents and they, how they hurt the little guy. And, um, bio kids in the home are feeling it parents if kids go back and we get to like have the privilege of going with them they're hearing it and so I think that's just the hardest thing um but also really the most precious to like be entrusted with the stories and find ways to problem solve and work through the herd and resources and opportunities with the goal really of like how can we strengthen how can we strengthen people and make them better and stronger and give them more resources and tools. And so it's like this fine balance of, oh my gosh, we're, we're bearing the heaviness of it every single day, but we have the privilege of getting to make it better. So Mm. that's kind of the daily, I would say, I think all of our team and then any foster parent really would describe that as the, this like weird juxtaposition. That's cool. That's very cool. Wow. Yeah. I'm just wondering, hmm, it's hard. I, I, come from a place where I wasn't exposed to a lot to foster care at all like Mm -hmm. this is something that um I mean if I say embarrassingly why wasn't I uh pretty sheltered I guess growing up and not having an experience of knowing people um going through the trenches 
like that. So for me, it was always a far off thing. Mm-hmm. Seeing it up close with one, the work that you do, and then two, just knowing your story and what you're doing with your little bundle of joy. Um, it's okay. You can say my fat little baby. Your fat little baby. <laughs> it's just, it's in awe. I, I can't, it's difficult for me to not feel like I'm watching um, a miracle happen, you know, mm-hmm. because the hardness that, um, from the story. So, um, I met you when my, um, I was work. I walked alongside a family. Mm-hmm. What do you call that? What am we I? Walk alongside. I'm a, yeah. You I were a love a, box leader. I was a love box leader. So, um, so I walked alongside a family who had some foster children and, um, got to know Krista, but also in that journey, just hearing other people's stories, it, um, felt unbelievable. It was humbling and just made me more sensitive to the heart of God that sees mm-hmm. all of his children. Cause for so long, my view of his children was very limited and they weren't hurting like the people who I was exposed to in mm-hmm. um, in this scenario. And so for that, I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I don't have questions. I just want to sing your praises. <laughs> Thank and you. And on top of that, just um, your Let It Make You Kind book. I feel like in so many instances, the people who have gone through these hard situations could be bitter. And to not be bitter, or to have a little bit of bitterness, but still mm-hmm. allow the experience to make you kind is a choice and a hard one and a beautiful one. Yeah. And needs to be celebrated. I, and I, I think about that so much with this job. So just like a high level background check, you can read more in my book, four letter words available on Amazon. Can I plug myself here? Guys? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, please. But I had a, I mean, I had an extremely traumatic childhood. I, there was so much abuse and neglect and dysfunction in my home. And I always knew like, this isn't normal, but it is what it is. Like it was what I knew. And then, you know, I entered into adulthood and I was adopted as a teenager. And so that family gave me stability and normalcy, but it's like, I don't know how to be what they are when all I knew was these first 17 years of my life was chaos and destruction and dysfunction. And I was really angry. And I, I was just listening on a training today that we're talking about the difference between grief and, uh, trauma. And, and the lady was breaking it down and she said, you know, grief, you experience anger, but it's like very externalized or it's very internalized. It's like grief that I didn't regret that I didn't spend more time with that person or regret that I didn't get to say goodbye versus trauma that causes anger that's very much like outward. So you're destructive, whether you hurt property or you hurt yourself. And so like, I was very angry outwardly with all of the trauma and spent time in therapy on and off and was, you know, by all accounts, like a a functioning adult. I went to college, I went to grad school, I had a good job, I had friends, like I had hobbies. And then when I moved to Texas, this job and like hearing the grief Mm. of other people's stories, I remember sitting in the office across the hallway and there was something that was happening with a teen girl on someone's caseload. And our CEO, Susan was like, Krista, what would you do? And I opened my mouth and I realized Mm. the answer that I want to give is so that it will fix 15 year old Krista's experience. Uh, Not this current 15 year old girl, but like I wanted to retroactively heal my own wound. And I'm like, I can't do that. And so that's when I knew I had to do really intensive therapy. And so I started and it's been a little more than three years now, but I just saw like, I got to go back and look at my life and see, yes, I ex- no one's going to argue that I didn't experience trauma, but like in every pivotal point of my life, I had healthy relationships. I have always had God and I feel like I have been closer in proximity to, he's never moved. He's, his position doesn't change, but like my proximity to him and honestly, my proximity to him doesn't change either. It's one time I told a friend, it's kind of how you see the moon. Like the moon is always the same distance from the earth, but sometimes you only see a sliver of it because of how it's positioned in front of the sun. And so I just think about that sometimes, like Mm. sometimes my view was blocking God from seeing him in my life. And so like, I can look back and see, I always had God, God always put really good people in my life. And that's why I got to grow up and be successful and healthy. And I really was confronted with this choice of like, 
nobody would begrudge me being angry. Like I had a horrible childhood. Nobody would feel like your, my anger was unjustified, but I also felt like, okay, I'm at this pivotal crossroads where I can let it make you kind. And I can take all of this hurt and turn it into compassion and grace for other people. Just how like God has given me grace and mercy in my life. There are so many things that I have that I don't deserve. There's so many, I mean, mercy, right? Like I've been had God be so merciful to me and not being punished the way that I do deserve. And, um, and so I just try to hold that as I'm looking at the stories that we're hearing from families, as I'm training people on what foster care is. And as I'm living out foster care as a foster parent and, you know, people come to me with preconceptions about my guy's mom. And I'm like, she made mistakes. Of course, like something caused him to be removed from the home, but she is a person first and foremost, like I have made mistakes and all that stands between her and I and our mistakes is that I had supportive relationships and she doesn't. And so like, I'm going to believe in her the way other people have believed in me, the way God has believed in me, the way that I know God believes in her. And so I just, I'm like, I'm going to let it make me kind and not be hardened by it. And hopefully I just think like, if I can be kind and show compassion to her, will that change her story? And then her baby will get to go home to her and that changes their story. And like, it's hard because he's going to leave me someday and it's going to be the worst pain I've ever felt. But I'm like, oh my gosh, my greatest grief will be because she gets to have her baby go home because I chose kindness toward her because people chose kindness toward me. And I'm like, that is a loop that I want to be stuck in, you know? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a rabbit trail, that's but beautiful. I could talk about it all day. And well, I think that that's it. Like that's, that's what I want to highlight about you is that you're willing to get into that loop that I think so many people are afraid of, you know? Because one, I think the I think your perspective and the way that you can see birth mom experience type thing, so I feel like you're a rare gem because so many people want to um, chastise and make it ugly and about that situation and that you don't and see it in such a beautiful way is commendable and two that you recognize that being a part of this story and his story means that you will experience pain at some point that's heartbreaking Hmm. and i don't think many people go into willingly go into relationships knowing there's going to be heartbreak in here yeah there's a there's a um there's a scene in scripture uh, that comes to mind as you were talking um when when Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus to the to the temple uh, to to have him consecrated. Right, so uh, this is eight days after his birth, and um, Simeon, uh, he's this this uh, this priest, this this Jewish priest that's there. He's been um, he's been told by God uh, through prayer that he would he would get to meet the Christ child. Right, and so um, Simeon's this old man. He's blind. He's you know he's kind of wait, he's in his last legs of life. Right, and and he he but he recognizes the Christ child. And Mary, um, in this in this scene, uh, Simeon tells her that her heart is really going to kind of be broken, yeah. right? That that she's going to feel this um, this tremendous grief, this tremendous pain, um, because of this this relationship, because of this this uh, um, perfectly sort of um, I'm trying to find the, the right words to kind of explain Christ's whole like human experience, right? Because his he is perfect. His human experience is very human and very imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. And there's lots of, lots of pain and lots of betrayal and lots of mistrust and all of these terrible things um, that he that he goes through. And it's it's interesting to think of of parents, to think of moms, to think of anyone who's really in a position to love, right? When we're when we're in a position to love, when God calls us, you know, to another person, to another relationship, uh, really with the sole purpose of just loving them it's guaranteed that it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. right? Love, you know, uh, love hurts. I don't remember who sang that song, um, but love, <laughs> but love hurts. And it's, and it really is, it really is, um, sort of something that I think in our society right now, it's a, it's a piece of, of our understanding of love maybe that is, that is really missing that we don't really, um, you know, we, we want, we want all of the warm fuzzy. We want all of like the good stuff, right? The, the cream that sort of rises to the top, we don't necessarily want to put in the emotional work or put mm-hmm. in the relationship work that it takes to um, to really truly love someone on that 
in that Paschal mystery kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're really kind of laying yourself down. Um, when you, how, and, and, and um, be, please be as diplomatic with the response <laughs> to this question as you want. Is it, I mean, is it difficult when you see some of these situations and, and you said you work on kind of the, the glamorous side, mm-hmm. right? But when you hear some of these stories, when you, when you, when you, um, I'm sure feel for these, these children and young people that you work with, is it hard to choose kindness? I mean, are there days where it's like you are like screaming in a closet cause you don't necessarily, that's not your, like your gut reaction. I mean, yes. Yeah. I feel like well, I heard one time before I ever moved to Texas that like love is a verb and we have to choose to do it every day. And I think that's the same with like, let it make you kind. The whole idea of let it make you kind is some days it comes very easily to me and I just wake up and I feel like the overwhelming compassion, but there are some days in my job. There are some days with my child. There are some days with my first mom, like some days they all overlap. And those are the hardest days where Mm -hmm. I don't feel kindness toward anyone. And you, you know, I think there are moments. And for me, I think I feel the weight of like altering my own story and the people before me, not having the capacity to alter my story. And there are some days where I look at, at bio parents or, you know, we have a lot of like grandparents in our program who are raising their grandkids, which is mind blowing to me that they have six or seven of their grandkids in their home and they're struggling and just all of the different facets. Sometimes I'm like, I changed my story. Y'all can just, you just need to suck it up and change your own story. Mm. And I don't like believe in the, um, fake it till you make it mentality. I mean, maybe there's some like truth in that, but some days I'm like, just suck it up and do it. And I don't always feel the compassion. And so something that I love about our team here at Austin Angels, and I I have applied this principle to every area in my life where I try to, is we have a group of core values that as a case management team, we really hold dear to. And the number one case management value that we have is unconditional positive regard. And there are moments where I'll say something and, and our boss Haley is like so quick to say, you might not believe that or feel that, but let's hold this person with unconditional positive regard. It gives me goosebumps just to think about it. And it's a good like reset to take yourself and step back. And it might be, you don't agree with the choice they're making. You don't agree with their politics. You don't agree with how they're living their life. Like whether it's a foster parent or a bio parent or youth in foster care or my, my birth mom, or, you know, anybody that we're interacting with. And if we can hold unconditional positive regard for someone else, it means you like see them with dignity, you treat them with respect, you believe in their like humanity that God gave them, even if you can't agree with a choice. And so that's always a good reset for me is like, am I holding unconditional positive regard for this person? And it's not always easy and it's a daily practice. And yeah, some days it's like oozes out of me. And some days I'm like, it's hard. I'm a rock. I need someone to sledgehammer <laughs> yeah, sure. a chisel into me so that I can have that again. So yeah, it's just a daily practice that, and I think the more that I do it and the more that like, you know, as I train on trauma, um, like I grew up in a, in a Christian church culture and, um, still have great faith in God and Jesus and, um, don't regularly attend church, but like really believe in the core principles of the faith that I grew up in. And I remember people saying like, what does it mean to hold every thought captive? And when I train on trauma and resilience, you know, you have to like take all these thoughts that are happening in your brain that are negative, that aren't true. And you have to grab onto them and get rid of them and replace it with a new thought. And I think like that is in the Christian tradition, what it is to like take every thought captive and replace it with something that is true. And I think on those hard days where I'm like, I don't have unconditional positive regard for anyone. I'm not choosing kindness. I'm like, okay, you have the self-awareness to see that you're feeling like this. What can you say? Like, I'm feeling frustrated, but what is actually true in this situation? And it's just, it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it gets, even if it's still hard and you have to choose it, it does get easier. Sure. And there's this, uh, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I think there is this, like this, this very, this very beautiful sense that it is not, it is not a one-time thing. Like so much of our, of our, of the life that we live, like so, so few of the moments that really uh, matter to us in life are like one and done Mm -hmm. moments, right? Like if you, you know, you talk to parents and they talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the day their child was born. Well, yes, that's one experience in being a parent, but having a child is a lifetime 
thing. Like it, 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 it lasts your entire life, right? No, no matter what happens, you are a parent for the rest of your yeah. life and you're fundamentally different. It's the same in our relationship with God. And so all of those, um, all of those muscles, I think, uh, especially when we're, when we're actively looking for ways to respond to, um, the problems in the world to respond to problems in someone else's life. Yes. It's going to take practice. It, there's never going to be like a lesson that someone teaches you and it just flips a switch and you're, and you're, you're, you're done. Right. Um, that's a, it's a really, really, um, beautiful thing. I also, uh, just hearing you talk that unconditional positive regard, is that, is that something that you also, you also might sort of talk about having that for yourself? Is that something that, that plays into, to what you all do? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, as a foster parent, as a case manager and in all of my like many hats that I wear in this. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, aren't we hard the hardest on ourselves? We are our own worst critics. And I have to, in those moments where I'm like doubting myself as, I mean, it's hard. So I have 20, about 20 cases right now. I'm getting up to 25 and then I'm also doing all these program events and hearing the stories. And I'm like, did I make the right choice? That was so dumb. And I'm my own worst inner critic. And it is constantly like you did the best you can. But also I think what's great is that our team members remind each other Mm. of that. Mm -hmm. And in those moments where maybe I can't hold unconditional positive regard for myself, I have people like in my immediate circle who I can, yeah, yeah, who believe in me, who I can say both professionally and personally. And this job again, like (laughs) if you haven't figured it out, they overlap heavily. Yeah. Like my life is a Venn diagram, but very heavy (laughs) in the Venn part in the middle. (laughs) My, my personal and professional life. It's like one messy circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically one circle at (laughs) this point, at this point, but it is so important for me to like, and I think I'm just so reflective naturally I've always been wired that way. I've always been like a writer and a journaler. And so it's good for me because I have the self-awareness to like give myself the grace, hold myself to not to hold myself to like a standard that I wouldn't hold a friend to. Mm. And, and sometimes I try to think that I'm like, what I'm feeling now, if a friend came to me and I feel like we've, Nikki, you said that to me yeah. recently and that was so beautiful and I needed it. Yeah. I think Nikki and I were talking recently and she was saying something and I'm like, I had a bad you, day with my kids. Yeah. And you said, I'm like, you get to start over again tomorrow. It's okay. Like, I understand it feels bad and yucky, but if the roles were reversed and this was me having a hard day being frustrated with my kid, you would show me so much grace and compassion. And so like you get to have, I give you permission to have that for yourself. And so I think like sometimes I have to let myself be out of my own head for a minute and say, if this was a friend, you wouldn't treat them this way. So don't treat yourself that mm-hmm. way. Like you're going to love other people the way that you love yourself. And that matters. Yeah. I think it takes, it takes a recommitment mm-hmm. to yourself every day. Like you were saying, it's not a one and done, but also on the, on the days when I'm going to say you or I, when, when we forget, you know, cause there's a lot of times where, um, we talk a lot about the gaze of Christ. And you know, when I, when I lose focus, I lose his gaze. I forget all of the goodness and all of the, the mercies that he gives. So it, it's important to um, not just be forgiving of myself, but to surround myself with people who help remind mm-hmm. me of those um, graces that are bestowed. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, you were so good. I had a really bad day with the kids, and I'm like, ah, Krista, I was so awful. And she's like, okay, that's okay. You can, you know we can turn it around and you know, you're a good mom and da da da. And I, and I was kind of still beaten on that. No, really I'm terrible. And she's like, look, if this was happening with me or with Katie, <laughs> what would you say to us? You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't do that to us. Yeah. So be kind to yourself. I needed that. Let it make you kind, you know, let it make, I, okay, look, we don't need to like plug your book all the time, but I'm literally, <laughs> I would just want to say it all the time because I feel like given any funky circumstance, I feel like, society's natural tendency Mm -hmm. is to let it make you crappy (laughs) right yeah so your let it make you kind is so it feels like a novel approach well and i went so when it came out i was like are people gonna think i'm just saying we all need to be nicer to each other and yes objectively we do people are mean and ugly to each other and i hate that and like no matter what i believe and what someone else believes even if we're vehemently opposite i don't ever want to resort to name calling or being hurtful or being disparaging like that is unkind period 
And I think like the idea of let it make you kind actually as we're talking about holding unconditional positive regard for ourselves, that idea of let it make you kind really like starts within us. Um, and I can choose kindness or I can choose to be hard and angry and my choice has the ripple effect, you know, my work, my home life, like everything. And there's just days where we all get it wrong. Mm -hmm. We're human and we're not perfect. And, but I think if we can just start and take a breath and and say like, I'm going to let this make me kind. And that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries as people. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Like we can choose kindness even within those contexts of like, there are repercussions for things. And, you know, and I think about like foster care, there's a repercussion when you have abuse or neglect and your child has to be removed. Like that is a consequence of that. But man, every day I can choose kindness toward my son's first mom and be a partner with her, or I can choose anger. And, you know, I just think like we did on his birthday, we got special approval for his birthday was on a Saturday and we got special approval from the court for him to have a visit with both of his parents at separate times. And people were like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Cause that is not typical. The foster parent has to agree to that. And I just thought like, there's no reason not to like, what it, is it just a, am I just flexing my power muscle? If I say, no, he doesn't get to visit with you. Um, like I'm going to celebrate him on a different day, but it's just such an easy yes. And such a kind thing to do. And I think like, I'm not going to hold any anger. I have at my first mom and this is me recognizing my own issues, but like I could have said, no, I'm for mad at my birth mom 38 years into my life. Like I still have issues that I'm working on, but I'm not going to let that impact. I'm going to choose kindness and not let that impact my little guy's story with his mom. And then when I said, yes, you can celebrate his birthday with him. It was only an hour and 15 minutes. And I think like that was the highlight of her day. And the fact that she got to see her baby an extra time that week, like what does that ripple effect have? And so that kindness starts like within us and is very chosen from our own capacity and our own desires, but then it, it goes out and then we are naturally kinder to the community around us. We, we talk a lot about, um, we talk a lot about encounter. That's a, that's a word that we use to describe um, experiences in prayer. Uh, experiences in the community, just uh, any time that we experience the love of God, the presence of God um, in one another in a particular situation, whether it's a sacrament or something like that. Um, I love that this uh, this image of a ripple effect. You've mm-hmm. said that a few times, and I love that um, that in, in in my mind that makes a lot of sense when I think about encounter because when I um, when I am conscious of an encounter, when I'm self aware enough to go. Oh, God is doing something here in this moment with Pay me attention. or with someone else, yeah. and I'm I'm paying attention. If I t- if I take a step back from that uh, and I and I just I just kind of let God um, direct my thoughts for a few moments, I can, I mean, without fail, I can see the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. I can see how this this moment of encounter impacts my relationships, impacts um, you know my my work ethic, like my my ability to. Um, to, to be close to him, my abilities in prayer, right? And how that, uh, you know, kind of filters down or, or, or flows down, flows outwardly into the community, into every, mm-hmm. into everyone else, right? And so I, I, I do want to kind of, kind of um, point out to our listeners that a lot of, a lot of the things that we talk about um, on this podcast are very, like, we're, we're, we're looking inward, right? Like, you know, the, it's called the Late to Church podcast. Why am I? We, we, we again, we try to be we try to be diplomatic about it, but like, why am I always ten minutes late to church? Mm-hmm. Right? Why do my why, why why is that where my priorities get me? Right? And and what needs to change to like fix that if it if it needs to be fixed? I think you've you've kind of um, in, encouraged us encouraged us uh, in our conversation so far to to unlock a little bit um, of that mystery, which is okay. The things that I do matter. Right, the things that I do in life, they they have an effect, and even even little things like saying I'm not going to let this, or or maybe what would seem like a little thing, I'm not going to let to let my experience, however long ago, mm-hmm. affect somebody else now. Right, I'm I'm going to stop that right now. That is so powerful because so much of what I think, so much of what is going on in the world today, is a product of everybody kind of living in fear of their past experience, right? Mm-hmm. Or, which is depression, essentially, or everybody living in fear of what could happen, right? And and 
you've really kind of explained like how to take some control of that and to say, no, I'm, I'm going to trust that kindness, goodness, living in relationship with God, living in positive relationships with other people is what's going to, is what's going to best like serve, right? Mm-hmm. It's what's going to best serve the, the greater good, or, or maybe just this one person right in front of me, whatever it is, but those ripple effects are going to be positive mm-hmm. and I'm going to make the choice that they're positive. I'm not just going to sit here and hope that they're positive. That's I'm going to make the choice that they're mm-hmm. positive. Yeah, it's like you're not at a neutral position of just let it happen and see how things go. You're taking a very positive approach. Yeah. And I feel like being a disciple in that, you're you're when given the opportunity like with with your fat little baby's birthday, you know, like you did not have to I just feel like you're downplaying what transpired because I'm just thinking of me in the hecticness of a daily life and you took the extra step and time is money. People's time is valuable and you made that a priority for them to participate in his birthday and and for him. Now, you're making it like it's no big deal, but I think that that's like this, um, it's active, it's an active choice in a holy direction to include them and the ripple effect the ripple effect is huge because, you know, it's, uh, I think when we hear that, what, pay it forward mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help but think how many people are in um, bad situations because no one did pay it forward in a situation like you're living in right now. And I just think the magnitude of how you're changing that whole entire family's life is profound. And for, I mean, I guess maybe I downplay it because it feels like it always feels like the right choice and the right choices in our life are rarely the easy ones. You know, that's like very cliche, but it's true. And I just, I look back and again, this is like, thank you. Thousands of hours of therapy, thousands, hundreds of hours of therapy. Let's not be dramatic. Krista. (laughs) Um, But I think back and I can see all the people who showed kindness toward me and how that influenced my story. And I think if they hadn't done that, if they had not intervened and shown me love and compassion and second chances and taken risks on me when helping me was risky in different ways and when loving me was hard because I was a hard person, because I was a hurting person, like all of the people who sacrificed their comfort and gave me their time and their love. You know, we, at the church I used to go to, we always talked about you can give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And so many people have given me all of those things throughout my whole life, and it it's changed the trajectory of my story. And so I just think I can do that for other people. And it's not always easy. It's the hard choice most days, but it's always the right choice. Mm-hmm. And I see the the fruit of it. I see the dividends of a family healing and building a relationship and, you know, getting to hear, um, my little guy's mom say like, I want you to be a part of our family. You're going to be, oh my gosh, one day she said, and I just was like, no, do not cry until you get in your car by yourself. Not not that emotions are bad, but I was going to lose it. You know, she was, I always let them put the baby in the car. Like there's no reason for me not to buckle him in. Like, I don't need to be the one that takes him back and puts him in the car. I want them to have him as long as they can, because I feel like it has to be a terrible feeling to see your child two hours a week. And just that, that you're thinking of other people, that selflessness is not, I feel like that's rare. Yeah. Well, I just feel genuine affection for her. And I think about how hard that has to be. And, you know, I'm there and I'm awkward and I'm the one taking your baby home. And like, I'm the one meeting, I'm there as he's hitting all of these milestones and I'm sending her pictures and telling her like, this is what he's eating now. Please only give him this much formula. And I think that has to be such a bizarre thing as as a parent. And so... Um, one day she was putting him in the car and I was kind of giving him space so they could, she could say her see you laters until next week to him. And, um, she just said, thank you so much for loving him until he can come back to us. And I just was like, okay, be strong, Krista. And I said, of course, you know, I'm so thankful that you trust me with him. And it's hard because she doesn't really have a choice in the matter. Like the state decided to trust me, but we've built a good relationship. And then she said, 
Oh gosh, she said, your family now will do Christmases together and Thanksgiving, like you're a part of our life forever. And I just like, that's what I want is to be her community. So when he goes back, she feels supported and changes something changes yeah. her trajectory. And then she will get to a place where she can change that. And even if she doesn't change anyone else's life, I mean, she's changing her baby's life by mm-hmm. doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. And like, I am, and that's the thing about foster care is that we are always meant to be temporary. Like mm-hmm. sometimes people do adopt in foster care, but kids, if we can pour love and compassion and support and resources into bio parents, like that's the goal. We want to heal trauma in first families so that kids can go back and like that. Cause trauma is generational trauma changes our genetics. Like our very biology is changed and we will not nerd out on this podcast, but there are just so many scientific studies that show what trauma does to our genes and that's passed down. And so if we can heal that in her and she has resources and like skills Mm -hmm. and then can help her son with trauma because he's experienced trauma by being removed from the home and, and just other things that are too, you know, tender and, and personal in their, his story. So I don't want to, and her story, I don't want to share them, but like hard things have happened in their lives. And so if I can help be a part of giving them skills, if we as foster parents in general, if we as a nonprofit, as we as a community can come around and support families and like big picture, we're healing the trauma, then someday, like I want to work myself out of a job in my lifetime. I don't want to be a foster parent forever because I don't want kids, like I want to be a foster parent as long as needed, but I don't want to do it forever because I don't want there to be a need for foster care. I want families to be healed and whole and to like know that they have love and support. And for right now, I get to be that for my little guy's mom. And like what, what a privilege that is. And it's I say it, I'm of course never going to share like the hardest parts of the story. There are a lot of hard parts of fostering, even in my case where it's like very ideal, but I, it is a privilege. Like Mm -hmm. it is a privilege to love people the way that I have been loved by other people, by God and to sacrifice some of my comfort. You know, I would choose the pain every single day because I know that what I'm doing has an impact and it's much bigger than myself, you know? Mm. Wow. It's a privilege to love people the way that I have been loved. That's like, that's too profound for a (laughs) t-shirt. That is like, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm very, very, I'm going to, I'm going to chew on that in my head for, for a while. That's, that's super cool. That's awesome. Um, so I don't want to, uh, I don't want to overwhelm our listeners with, um, with like too much about, I don't want to say too much, but like, like. I feel like so far what we've talked about, we've talked about kindness in the in and love in the context of foster care. Uh, but I do want to give you an opportunity uh, to share with our listeners: is there anything that they can do um, for for um, Austin Angels? Uh, for, yeah, for Austin Angels, or 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 maybe for foster communities in their local community. Yeah. What what kinds of things can people expect to do if they if they want to help out? Well, I, you know, we say here, not everyone is called to foster or adopt, but everyone has the ability to impact the life of a child. We all do. And it's funny from like a 30,000 foot view, businesses and organizations can, can help. But as people, we have prime real estate in our lives. There are families who are fostering in every community. Like obviously here in the Austin area, we know we have Austin Angels. We exist. We have 22 chapters throughout the U.S. You can see us all at nationalangels.org. Um, just a plug for what we do. And I think as a foster parent myself, and then in this role, I think the number one thing is just, we need support in our communities. It is so hard. And I can only speak to Texas laws because I was not a foster parent in California, but man, I have to have people fingerprinted and background checked. Nikki's been fingerprinted and background checked, um, just to babysit in my home or to babysit in her home. I just can't decide I trust this person. There's, there's no prudent parenting in Texas. And so just finding a support organization wherever you live. Obviously, if you live in Austin or Houston or Amarillo or DFW or New Braunfels, find a chapter of, of National Angels um, and get involved because we just always have a need for people who are willing to show up and serve families. And, and just it is hard and isolating and lonely. And it's just so helpful to have good people that you can like 
have alongside of you, but wherever you are, there are nonprofits everywhere, even outside of Austin angels. Or if you go to church and you know, a family who's fostering, like you don't even need to be part of a nonprofit, a volunteer with a nonprofit to say, Hey, what's your hardest night of the week? Can I bring you dinner for the next four Thursdays? If Thursday Mm -hmm. is a day that you have, um, visits all day and appointments, like, can I just bless you with dinner? Yeah. And, or can I watch your baby while you go get a pedicure? You know, mm-hmm. I have a love box leader and she just will volunteer a couple hours a month. Um, her name is Nomita and she just comes over and hangs out with the baby so I can like go to Target and try and close or By yourself. get a pedicure or, yeah. you know, if a friend is available, meet up with a friend. And I think that's the biggest need is just. Yeah. So when you say support, what relational support, tangible. So yeah, we need, we need relational support. So someone who will get babysit certified, who will cook a dinner or who will come over and honestly just like hang out for a couple hours with you as you are doing your nighttime routine. I am a single foster parent. And so like one, one day Nikki and Laurel came over and they literally let me, they held the baby while I took a shower and then they hung out for like an hour and just talked. He had been sick with RSV and I thought I was going to lose my mind because I was so tired. It's hard. And just having that community support is so great. And then there are, I mean, some families do have higher financial needs. We have like the family that you were matched with. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of kids and many, many kids. And so there are just the tangible things of food food is yeah. a huge thing diapers clothing like all of those or things like they want to do a sport yeah you know? like all those things cost money and you hate to say no to a kid who's already been traumatized that we can't do this because of a financial constraint so i know that there are companies that also help with yeah um the financial aspects yeah. and families who yeah help, right yeah and so i would say whether it's through a formal program like austin angels find something like that that exists within your community to provide that ongoing support, whether it's financial or relational. Um, but you don't even, yeah, you can find out who in your church is fostering or going through any hard season of life, honestly, and show up with a meal or a coffee or invite them to take Mm -hmm. a walk or do something like foster care in particular can be really isolating because you have kids who have experienced trauma and their behaviors impact that, you know, even with a 14 month old, I can see the impact of trauma in his life and he's really healthy and, and we are working on the skills, but like it's, it can be really hard and isolating for people who start, who have kids who've kind of had typical experiences. And so just to be invited to do things, mm-hmm. um, or to have someone show up with, you know, a meal or let you take a shower is just who doesn't, isn't phased by the crazy of your foster care life yeah. because it is hard. It's lots of appointments and driving and oh my gosh. I said one time, I would like a week where we have no medical appointments and now we have physical therapy twice a week. So that doesn't ever happen, but you know, it's, there's just so much on our plates as foster parents. And so I think relational support for me personally is huge. And Mm -hmm. you can do that without the context of a program Just show up for people. Yeah. I love that. I love showing up for people. Absolutely. Um, Nikki, you, you mentioned when you were, when we were at the beginning of our conversation, um, that you grew up kind of not really seeing foster care kind of maybe on your horizon, right? Like it just wasn't something that resonated with you. I didn't really think about it or know about it until I had, um, family. Like I I have a cousin who's adopted. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so it didn't really ring true for me until then either. Um, I wonder in, you know, maybe in, in, I don't know, this, this might be opening a whole other can of worms. Um, but I wonder if just quickly, if you could, could maybe, maybe talk to our listeners a little bit about, uh, some of the stigma that comes along. Is, is there stigma that comes along with foster care? Do you, do you, do you, do you see, um, maybe people who aren't educated on what foster care is, um, you know, that have some specific questions or that maybe feel a certain way about foster families? Yeah. I think there's kind of three lanes of stigma. I think a lot of people think, oh my gosh, kids in foster care are just damaged goods. Like they're still, even in 2021, I think, especially the older they are. And it's true. The older you are in foster care, the more trauma you've experienced. But we also know that the way God made our brains and our bodies is that they are smart and can adapt and can learn and heal from trauma. And And if anything need to be extended more grace because of the the trauma they face. You're also still a person. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like you deserve dignity and unconditional positive regard. And, and then I think people think babies are easy. They've not experienced any trauma, 
that is a lie. Trauma in the womb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is prenatal trauma that can happen. And lots of mamas who are pregnant, who have kids removed from them, have experienced traumatic things. So I think there's just stigmas regarding kids in foster care. um, And there's such a need for people to support kids, families who have older kids. um, And also, you know. I can only have a baby because I live in a one-bedroom apartment, but someday I really want to foster teenage girls just because I want them to see someone believes in them and values them. So, And then I think people obviously have the stigma of all birth parents are bad, kids should never go back, and you know there are cases where the the trauma is just too deep and parents aren't able to become well enough to have their kids go home. But I think whenever we can, I, I like to educate people on like trauma is cyclical. And this child who was removed because of trauma was removed because something happened to his mom and dad and they Mm. experienced trauma and didn't have support. So that's a a stigma that's associated with birth parents. And then I also think people still have the mentality that you're in foster care for the money. And I will tell you, that's not true. Like I do get reimbursed from the state. I get paid a daily rate in Texas. There's a set rate depending on your child's level of care. And my, my kiddo is just basic. So, I mean, babies go through a lot of diapers yeah. and wipes and he's on a formula that isn't covered by WIC. And so I am not making, I'm not profiting from this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely Gosh. not. Mm-hmm. And I think more and more agencies are, you know, weeding out anybody who has questionable motives for fostering. And so that is, I promise you, we are not doing this to get wealthy. Mm. <laughs> like I'm not, I am spending my own money above and beyond what the state reimburses me. Um, and that's okay because mm. I have the capacity to do that. Um, and I think there's also a stigma and I feel this and my, I have a lot of single moms on my caseload at work and they used to say this to me and I'm like, why would you feel that way? And then now as a single mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel this way. But I feel the that sometimes people look at me and if I need, if I need a love box later to babysit him for a couple hours, once a month, so I can get a pedicure, I think people probably look at me and think, and I know this isn't true, but I'm like, they're looking at me thinking you chose to do this. You knew it was going to be hard. You should just suck it up and, and deal with it. And I'm like, that's not actually true. And I don't believe that about any of my other moms. So don't believe it about yourself. It's okay to need help. It's okay that you chose to do this alone. Um, but it's okay also to accept help and support from other people. So it's all about balance, it too, is. Yeah. right? It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the um, willingness to walk in this role shouldn't come with okay, no no fun and privileges are taking care of yourself after yes. that. Like you still need to take care of yourself. Yeah. There's no caveats on it when you're doing it alone, no. or even if you're doing it with a partner. Like right. it's still hard, and it's it's parenting, but with red tape. So Ugh. much red tape and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that we come back to a lot uh, on this podcast is is this idea of of giving yourself a break, taking care of yourself, allowing yourself to see um, maybe to take a step back and to try to see your life from God's perspective, right? And 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 certainly when we weigh you know the good things versus the bad things, the ups versus the downs, right? We we certainly. Um, we want to be working on the stuff that we need to work on, right? We want to be kind of moving forward in those ways. But I think, um, many, many of us, myself included, uh, we don't, we don't give ourselves the credit one when something is, is going well and when we're doing a good job. And when I say a good job, I just mean by, do we feel in our heart that we've done our best, right? That we've kind of put forth the effort that God is calling us to in a particular situation. doesn't mean that everything is going right. doesn't mean that everything is easy. It just means that we're, we're striving, we're doing it right. And then, and then too, um, really not, uh, for lack of a better turn of phrase, really not caring what somebody else thinks, right? That is so, um, difficult to do. And I can imagine in a situation like this, where you're dealing with so many variables and so many things that, um, seem to come at you from nowhere, right. Um, to, to still, um, one to, to choose kindness and, and to, to still kind of, um, give yourself that credit to, to take care of yourself, right. To give yourself that, that, that room to, to like, to go get a pedicure, whatever it might be. It, you really kind of have to set your, your, you know, your, your tuner basically in your mind off of whatever station is playing everybody else's thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody else's thoughts just don't matter. I think that's a really, 
um, just kind of hearing you talk, I, I think that probably goes hand in hand with kindness. I've, I've, I have to, I have to tell myself at some point, I'm going to do the right thing, right? N- nine out of 10 times, the right thing is taking care of somebody else. But one of those 10 times, it's probably taking care of me. Mm-hmm. Right. And can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. And that just is, thinking that. and that is, and that is not only okay, like that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, um, allow God to take care of you, allow, allow other people to take care mm-hmm. of you, allow yourself to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so I, I really appreciate that lesson. I really appreciate that, that, um, just that idea that, Hey, this is not easy. There's, there's, there's nothing about parenting. I mean, even like the, the, vict- the victorious thing, even the good things, right. Mm-hmm. Are not easy. No. It's, there's nothing about it. That's easy. Um, there's certainly a lot about it that's very, very, very difficult. And there's no, I'm sure your fat baby did not come with an instruction <laughs> manual, right? Like, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, so we, we just, we, as we kind of wrap up here, we just, we really appreciate the work that you do so much. And, and again, we encourage, um, anyone who's listening to, to reach out in their community, um, to, uh, you know, to find someone that needs help and to help them, I think yeah. is the, is the is the lesson of the day. Absolutely. Because you can affect the trajectory of someone's life. And that's, um, that's history in the making, you know, you can affect someone's history and, and, uh, that's beautiful. And you know, as far as like the, um, I was just thinking it's holy to take the rest and Jesus led by example. When hard things were happened, he, he peeled off and, retreated by himself and that's good mm-hmm. yeah it is. i would like to go on record for saying get the pedicure thank you it's good take a nap on a boat <laughs> take a nap on a boat with dramamine first though well i he my little guy's in daycare and he i felt really guilty i don't usually work on fridays i cram it all in four days because that's just what i did pre-baby and i felt guilty because i'm like i'm missing out on him and friday is the day where i'm not a mom, like I have a break from being a parent and I have a break from being an employee and I can just be Krista, be Krista for, you know, sometimes we do have appointments and stuff and it's only a half day, but it's like just enough to, to come back home and get back in bed and sleep for a few hours. Or now that it's nicer, sit outside and read on the balcony or go for a walk or meet up with a friend. And it's, yeah. Or just be alone where no one's touching me or like coughing in my mouth. Girl, (laughs) I get that. That's really my favorite is so my parenthood is someone literally coughing in your face every day. So, yeah. so I had to, I had to teach, well, I, I teach, um, in our middle school program, I teach a class of sixth grade boys. Oh, God bless you. And, <laughs> sincerely. And, um, yeah, we had our, our class last night and they were all like, like, you know, we do trivia and they get candy, right? So they got lollipops and I'm thinking so a lollipop smart. has a handle, right? oh. it has a handle on it. It's going to be easy. Um, they were all sticky uh, by the time, by the time, like they were all sticky and there were lollipop wrappers everywhere. And yeah. like, it was, I mean, it was super fun, but at the end of the night, it's like, it's going to take me 45 minutes to clean up this classroom. <laughs> yeah. Like, like wipe everything down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that whole notion of, of, and really anytime you're taking care of people, messy, right. It's, it's messy and, and pray and praise God that it's messy. Right? Yeah. We're all, we're all like kind of in it, in the in it together. Right? Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, um, we want to be conscious of your time. Thank you so much Thank for joining for us me. and for, Thank uh, you, for sharing so much and for really kind of blowing us away with your amazingness. I, Thank you're you. Just amazing. Thank yeah. you. Um, Outstanding job at life, Krista. Yeah. Good job. You get a ribbon or something. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Do you have any of those suckers left? For uh, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I might have some in my car actually. I probably okay. do. Okay. Um, we're going to, we're going to pray out. We're going to pray for you. Is that, is yeah. that okay? Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the that. that. You do here in the name of the father, father the son, and the son, Holy spirit. spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God. We thank you for this time, uh, for the ability to come together as a community to love and to support one another. And Lord, we thank you for the ability to choose kindness. We thank you for the virtue of kindness and for the example of your son, uh, leading us, um, sacrificing himself for us in kindness. Lord, we pray for Krista and for all of those uh, who work in foster care, especially those who work here at Austin Angels. Lord, we pray that you would bless them, uh, keep them, keep them focused on you, focused on on serving others. 
in the mission that you've called them to. Lord, we pray especially for all of the children in foster care that you would help them to feel, uh, just to feel your love on a daily basis, Lord. Help them to encounter you. And, and even if they don't recognize you in the encounter, that you would overwhelm them with your love, overwhelm them with your peace, and let them know uh, that, you are, that you are there for them. Lord, we pray for all of these things, uh, seeking your glory, seeking your um, your leadership, your guidance in our lives as we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, now, and ever shall be, a world without end. end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much. Thank you're, you. You're awesome. This has been fantastic. Thanks, guys. Even with all the, yes. even with the plethora of lawnmowers. lawnmowers also, I heard someone open a LaCroix, so I heard like a little pop, pop, and I'm like, someone got here and they opened a LaCroix, so <laughs> LaCroix sponsored our office. If you'd like to take one for the road, you can. Okay, cool. I do not recommend the hibiscus. Okay. It's pee pee flavor, it's apparently. <laughs> it's what I imagine pee would taste like. I have like no basis for it. It just smells like pee. That is which awful. One, which one would you recommend? Just in case the LaCroix people are listening... <laughs> Which one would you recommend? I'm a big fan of the Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse. The grapefruit. Also Katie and Grady's okay. favorite. Okay. I just like to say Pamplemousse. My parents have fun. four dogs, which is a lot of dogs, but they have a, a old round Rottweiler. She's just very chonky, and I like to call her my little Pamplemousse. Little cool. That's what awesome. is a Pamplemousse? It's a grapefruit. This uh, is for uh, French. And uh, LaCroix getting fancy. Yes. There's a pretentious wild, way huh? to say grapefruit. Did you know that? Nick? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not even, it's not just French. It's a I love it. pretentious way. Well, thank you so much. Um, we we will we will figure out a way to have you back on because this thank is fantastic. You. I would love to yeah. come back. Awesome. Thank you. All right, ragamuffins. We will uh, be in your ear later. <laughs> and what, and what did we say? What did we say last time? Um, Talk it to later. Talk it to later. Talk it to later. Talk it to later. All one word. Talk it to. Talk it to later. Write that down. That'll be a shirt too. We'll talk it to later. We have yes. so many ideas for shirts. We have more we ideas for shirt shirts business. than we have episodes of this podcast at this point. We do. All right. Peace out. Peace, everyone. to Church Podcast is an AMET Creative production and is hosted by James Longoria and Nikki Moncada. Our theme music is Candle in the Shadows by The Poor Kings. Check them out on Spotify or wherever you download music. Incidental music is by Punch Deck. Find us on Instagram at Late to Church Podcast and let us know your questions, comments, and thoughts by contacting Late to Church Podcast at gmail.com. Your insights might even be featured on the show. Just a little reminder, you are good. You are worthy. You are the beloved. Look around for the Lord today. He loves you and he wants an encounter with you. Thank you for journeying with us. We're praying for you. Peace.